Irish classical pianist John O'Connor is known for the passion and poetry of his music. This focus on emotional expression is also what fuels his love for jazz. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I recorded today's conversation with John O'Connor in 2002 at Steinway Hall in New York City, where I enticed John into playing a couple of his favorite classical pieces, which he feels have a jazzy feel to them. I think every single uh, classical musician who sees, you know, great jazz piano players sit there and sort of say, how do they do that? <laughs> why can't I do that? And that's sort of thing. I mean, I also think that there's, 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 there's some sort of snob value put on classical mm. music, which, which those of us who succeed in classical music think is a load of rubbish, to be quite honest. And uh, because, uh, like when I was a kid, my te- piano teacher told me I shouldn't play by ear if it was bad for me. And I was so furious later on when I realized that there was nothing bad playing by ear. And there was a fellow who was in school with me who could play, he could hear a tune, he could put a left hand to it. I couldn't. And I couldn't save my life. Well, after a half bottle of whiskey, of Irish whiskey, it might work. <laughs> but that's different. That's when you're sort of, I don't worry about it all the time. But uh, generally speaking, he just told me it was very bad for me and I shouldn't do it, which I thought was ridiculous. So when I was a student in Vienna, there were quite a few other uh, penniless students like myself studying classical music in Vienna who used to go play in bars at night who made a fortune and like had to work one bar, one bar a night just playing sort of bluesy piano music or background piano music of any sort. I had to teach these out disgusting kids who were children of parents who couldn't care less, who paid me very badly. And I used to have to do that two afternoons a week, just keep food in my belly, which was not as expanded as it was as it is now. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, so it's crazy. I, I wish to goodness that somebody had let me play by ear. And you could have been out having, you could have been gigging with I these other... Gig- I could have been making some real money when I was a student and That's having so lots of fun at the same time instead of sitting there wanting to strangle some of these children at time because they never looked at the piano and they were incredibly rude and uh, all the rest of it. And I had to put up with all of this because I was starving. That's what, you know. Well, how was it supposed to be bad for you? I'm fascinated with I that. I don't know. I mean, I have students now and I walked in one day and one of my students was playing by ear and they, I arrived in and they, they thought they were going to be spanked or something. I don't know. But they stopped and looked at me in horror and I said keep going and they said but but I shouldn't do this should I and I said who told you that keep going I'm just interested in what chords you would, would uh, develop and, and all the rest of it and I think also if people can play by, if classical musicians can play by ear then it means that if they get into memory problems halfway through a performance or something they can find their way out if you can't play by ear you're left floundering and you suddenly switch from Beethoven to Schoenberg which <laughs> doesn't sound all that attractive I can tell me I can tell you when did you first hear jazz? I think I first heard jazz. There was a uh, my parents listened to all sorts of music, and uh, there was a Winifred Atwell was a black pianist who used to play. I think she was English. I'm not even sure. And she used to play on the radio, and she had this honky tonk sort of piano. And I just thought it was wonderful. I thought it was great. And I wondered why these boring exams that I was doing they're always with these black notes where you had to use fingering all the time and there was nothing but actually a bit of a bounce in it so um, and of course in Ireland uh, at the time you always did examinations run by the, one of the music colleges and uh, the ones I did for some reason were done by the English music colleges why I didn't do the Irish ones I don't know but since I'm now director of the Royal Irish Academy of Music in Dublin we run these examinations which are 
uh, we examine over 30,000 kids annually playing the piano. I mean, it's incredible in a small country like Ireland. But I've insisted that the, the, the music has changed. So there's always got to be at least some party pieces on every grade so every kid can have something that they can play at a party. Because when I was, like, say, 9, 10, 11, you'd go to parties and the balloons would get burst and the, the, the cookies were all eaten and all the rest of it. And the, the distraught mother was wondering what on earth to do with all of these kids until they were come to be picked up for half an hour's time. And they would eventually say, uh, John, you sit down and play something at the piano. And I'd have to sit down and play one of my boring exam pieces. And of course, you could see everybody <laughs> lose interest immediately. So they have quite a few jazz-inspired. There's, there's a, a fellow called Christopher Norton who has a whole load of jazz-inspired piano pieces. And uh, we try and put at least one or two of them on in each grade every year. So. That's so wonderful. So you think that it does help their playing. Your teacher said that it would hurt you if you were yeah, playing this. Yeah. And you assertively feel that the students should be playing some sort of jazzy kind of pieces or something, a party piece, as you're saying. Something I think so. Going I, mean, I think that, that pianists of today, if they don't have a broad range of musical interests, mm. then they're not actually playing... If, if they play contemporary music, they're not going to be playing something that is valid because um, they won't know where this music came from. Mm. And, of course... Everybody knows jazz these days, and mm-hmm. everybody knows sort of all of the other types of music. You can decide for yourself what you like, but I like uh, a mixture of everything. Did you try to play jazz yourself once you started hearing your friends I that were out? I did try, but, but there was nobody, nobody sort of, there was no education in jazz as such. You were supposed to pick it up, and I didn't know how I could pick it up. My sisters used to play by ear. My eldest sister, particularly, she's still great at a party. She's better than me. But uh, <laughs> You strike me as a man who's pretty good at a party, John. Yes, but I'm, I'm sort of better at pouring the drinks than playing the piano. <laughs> I like that. Well, what about composers that are jazz-inspired, classical composers? Well, of course, you know, once jazz hit, hit classical music, everybody got interested. I mean, even from uh, Debussy, as far back as Debussy, which, I mean, when did he write the Children's Corner Suite? I think it was the late 1890s. And he wrote the Gollywog's Cakewalk, which I think is one of the great uh, sort of jazz yeah. pieces. And it's, uh, it's also easy enough that, that lots of pianists can have a go at it. Mm. You know, and, and he was having fun. I mean, he did manage to put in one little bit in the middle of it, which is the Tristan theme from Wagner's Tristan and Isolde. But so he was trying to mix everything at the same time.
classical pianist John O'Connor on Gollywog's Cakewalk. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I spoke to John about his love for Beethoven. Well, they always say that Beethoven swung. Yeah. <laughs> I think he does, especially when you play it. Well, I mean, uh, for instance, this variation in the last movie of Opus 111, which is called, somebody once said to me, I love that jazzy bit. And I, I just never thought of it as being jazzy before. But when you think about it, the third variation is absolutely jazzy. I mean, it's got this wonderful dotted rhythm. And then there's all of these accents in places you don't expect it, just to shake people out of themselves. And then there's the extraordinary syncopations that he puts in as well. Bam, 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 bam. You know, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. It, it's so af- away from the sort of the formalised Mozart Haydn that you would get earlier on. This is Beethoven's last piano sonata. And, you know, who knows if he lived another 10 years, what else he might have produced? <laughs> it feels almost like a Charleston kind of thing. Yeah, the way- absolutely. And I mean, I don't know how exactly, I mean, you would be the one who would be able to sort of say where it developed from or developed into it. You have more knowledge than that about me. But I just think it's so attractive. It's mm-hmm. just great piano music. And it's, it comes from one of the most um, stately themes that he ever produced. And then he breaks into this. It's like he's going crazy. I mean, people keep saying to me, what is it about Beethoven you like? And I said, because he was such a complex character. Mm. I mean, if he was just... I, I sometimes give a lecture on Beethoven and his sense of humour. And people say, Beethoven's sense of humour? Because they have this picture of him or this drawing that was taken in 1817 and he's going around with a face like that, you know, glowering at everybody and, and sort of that he was going to just kill everybody if they even said anything nasty to him. But of course, when he was younger, he had a great sense of humour and he had lots of humour in his music too. And to say that he was just a dour, sort of uh, very, very serious all the time sort of person would mean that his music wouldn't have this breath of experience and personality and all the rest of it that that you can hear from somebody that's complex.
I mean, there's very little else of his composition that has the same sort of thing in it as that. Mm-hmm. But of course, things don't come from nowhere. It, it, it's all an amalgam of somebody sort of builds up one side of music, and and that's how it comes out. So I mean, from, from it wasn't very much used in the in the uh, Romantic era. Uh, that this sort of what Beethoven had started. But then, okay, the 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 the, the, the American music. Because I mean, people say jazz is American music. And uh, everybody started using jazz. I mean, Stravinsky and all the rest of it. And then there was this wonderful, uh, what, what you call him, a Czech composer, Erwin Schulhof, who just went crazy about jazz. And he wrote lots of jazz um, suites for classical piano. And, and what years were the, was he writing he, these pieces? He was, unfortunately, he was Jewish. And so he was killed in one of the concentration camps during the Second World War. I think he died in 1943 or something mm-hmm. like this. But he was just crazy about jazz and he has you know these par- something written a partita and I'm sure people thought it was going to be like a partita by Bach and all of a sudden all these jazz rhythms come out and this, <laughs> this wonderful piece which he entitled Tempo di Fox a la Hawaii and you know it's great fun just and the title is great absolutely could yes. you play that I'd love it if you play that for us I'll play a little bit for you all right great Classical pianist John O'Connor playing Tempo de Fox a la Hawaii, a composition by Czech composer Erwin Schulhoff. Well, isn't it true that that people would, in that day, in Beethoven's day, would applaud after a movement, after like the oh, first yes. movement thing? Absolutely. So it was much more interactive, like a jazz concert. Completely. And, and I mean, if they liked it, something sometimes the performance would have to actually replay re- that actual movement again. So yeah. if they played it through and everybody liked it, they, they would play it, that blah, blah, movement blah, blah, again, again before they went on Absolutely. to the next movement. You know, I mean, this, this idea, it's, it's these sort of things that have grown up, like uh, it's a sort of a snobby attitude. I never mind if people applaud. 
uh, at the end of a movement. It doesn't you don't? No, it doesn't worry me in the slightest. Well, I mean, if I don't want them to, I'll, if I want to continue a mood, then I'll try not to give them, I won't put my hands down my lap, I'll, I'll continue somehow just to give them that impression. If they applaud, fine, they applaud, it doesn't worry me. But um, I think this idea of sort of, you must not, not interrupt my thought, I'm always playing, you know, whatever it's supposed to be, this, this I am being inspired or inspiring uh, a genius at work here, you know, don't interrupt, that's a load of rubbish. Well, one of the things I loved, speaking of this, seeing you perform and hearing you perform was your attitude on stage, which I thought was the antithesis of this snobby, formal, just what you're saying. Thank you, you come I'm, out... I'm, I'm flattered. No, it's fabulous. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to watch myself on stage because <laughs> you never see yourself on stage. I mean, no, but it's wonderful because you're walking out and I think a lot of times, and I love classical concerts, but a mm-hmm. lot of times even going there, I'm thinking... Okay, remember not to applaud no matter how much you're enjoying yourself, which is a terrible thing. And I think people are doing that. And you come out and you walk on stage and people know they're going to have a good time. Yeah. Just from your whole attitude. Well, one of the nice things about playing to smaller audiences, I often introduce the music because I think it breaks down this barrier between this, as I keep on saying, walking on stage looking like a penguin. (laughs) This, you know, this antiquated uh, white tie and tail sort of thing, you know, which I I would like in some way to lose. I, I like the idea of younger performers coming out with uh, Jean-Yves Thibaudet wears his coloured socks or, or uh, you know, the, the, the jazzy sort of coloured uh, waistcoats. But, uh, or some people just simply walk out in a black, t- a black uh, polo neck or something like that. The trouble is that if I tried to start sta- changing at this stage, they'd say, oh my God, look at him, he's trying to act young. The poor <laughs> thing. So, I mean, I don't even bother. You know, I'm, I'm stuck in it, that's me, okay, I'll do it. But uh, in olden days, of course, people did introduce their, their music. And they played to audiences that maybe were only 50 or 100 in, in certainly to the aristocracy who probably talked all the way through while they were playing anyway don't forget and they were used to that sort of thing the actual formalized concert wasn't as it is today oh that's interesting so it was more like a jazz club when you think about it they're Absolutely. all talking and of and course if you look back on, on a lot of these concerts during the sort of like uh, the big monster concerts of the late 1890s and early 1900s they would have, you know, let's say Paderewski would play a few couple of pieces and then a singer would come out and sing and then they'd have an orchestra to do another little bit and, and even Beethoven's concerts were like that. I mean, uh, the idea of one pianist coming out and playing for two hours would probably put everybody to sleep. Oh my goodness, no variety. Let's have something a little bit more, you know, upbeat. And I try to often say to young kids, you know, when they're, they're playing, okay, you can play very deep music and it has... It, it means an awful lot. In the same way in jazz, you can play blues music that can reduce you to tears, and you can play other music that can have you laughing with joy. But um, I try to tell them, look, you're an entertainer. Now, some of them look at me as though I have two heads, and they're shocked with this blasphemy that I'm talking about. Classical music is art. You know, it's not even art. It's art with some sort of, you know, artificial um, expression on it, you know. But uh, yes, of course, it's art music, it's great music, it's fantastic music, but it doesn't always have to be boring.
Classical pianist John O'Connor playing the second movement of Beethoven's Piano Sonata No. 30, Opus 109. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I talked with John about the entertainment aspect of performing classical music. It's the balance of, of also how you build up a concert, that, mm. that you, you know, you... you you have to gauge your audience in advance. Is this the audience you can play this piece in or is this an audience you can play this piece? I mean, there are some pieces. There's a wonderful piece by Beethoven that, that takes 55 minutes, the Diabelli Variations, which I absolutely adore playing. But it's not for every audience because they'd stand up and leave, right. you know, halfway through. But uh, And for some audiences, you'll play a slightly lighter music. But even though I love playing this piece... I'll put it in certain areas. I'm sure you do the same thing. Yes, yes. Well, that's just being smart about programming. Yeah. And I'm thinking, as you're saying this too, that there used to be more variety. And I think that people think that attention spans are getting shorter, which they are. It's been proven. But to a certain extent, you're saying in that in Beethoven's day, they were giving them lots of variety. Lots of variety. And why don't they do that now? Why is then... And, wh- and another thing you said, you said that when you have a smaller audience you're more inclined to introduce yeah. the pieces. Why couldn't you do that with a big audience at Carnegie Hall? They're Hallway. too big. They're too big. And also, there's too many people who think, you know, you're being folksy. Really? And they will look down their nose at you. Yes. So you Ugh. don't want to alienate people in a certain way. Also, I mean, I, in a way, I prefer to play to an audience of 50 people in a, in a, a drawing. The way music started out, I mean, it was salon music because it was in a salon. Holding hands at midnight Neath a starry sky well, it's nice work if you can get it, and you can get it if you try. Strolling with the one guy, sighing side to side. Well, it's nice work if you can get it, and you can get it if you try. Just imagine someone waiting at the cottage door. Where two hearts become one, who could ask for anything more? Loving one you and then taking that vow well it's nice work if you can get it and you can get it if you try just imagine someone waiting at the cottage door where two hearts become one who could ask for more loving one who loves you and then taking that vow well it's nice work if you can get it and if you get it won't you tell me Dinah Shore on nice work if you can get it I'm Judy Carmichael and this is Jazz Inspired Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes. Email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Stride Queen. To find out more about my CDs and where I'm touring and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is classical pianist John O'Connor. Dave Brubeck was always a hero of mine from when I was very young and I heard Take Five for the first time. And when I, uh, he also records for Telar, where I do my classical recording for. So I met him at a wedding a couple of years ago and it was just a great thrill. To like and then you, you, I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, you, I don't know.
Take Five by Dave Brubeck, a favorite of my guest, classical pianist John O'Connor. This is Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired. People always talk about the differences with classical and jazz in terms of the rhythm and the improvisation and learning by ear, but I think of the touch of somebody and the approach to actually playing the piano. How does somebody with your technique and your training hear and think about someone like Thelonious Monk? Or do you not think oh. about how he approaches it? Do you just listen just, to the, the, to the uh, way the sound is? Do you know what I'm asking? Yes, I, I, do, I, I do know what you mean. I think that... Uh, in some ways, the, 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 the jazz musician uh, goes for the rhythm rather than the sound in very fast music. And I think that that's uh, not necessarily the case always in, in classical music. But, I mean, when you listen to somebody like Theologian Smunk, I mean, he's just... The sound does beguile you at times. Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is classical pianist John O'Connor. That's why I loved when I heard you the first time. I thought, you can switch so easily from, from you know, whipping an audience up into, a, you know, just the tre- most tremendous excitement to suddenly making them want to sit back, put their feet up and lie back. And, and, Aww, and, oh, thank it's fabulous. you. No, it's wonderful. Thank you. And I think that's great. And it's, I mean, that's what I think is wonderful about sort of getting a chance to meeting other sort of musicians. Because in many, to many people, there's a barrier between classical music and jazz, but not to the musicians themselves. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And I have to tell you something that was very funny that breaks a lot of preconceived notions. You and I for our audience to know what we're talking about. We were on the QE2 together, alternating on the same stage. One night you would play, one night I would play. Yes. But when we met, I was practicing during your practice time, and I laugh about this and have told people this story, that I had skipped breakfast to get to come in and practice. I was so serious. I had to get my practice in. You came late. Yes. Because... Of course, you hadn't skipped breakfast. And I said, well, you're the big <laughs> classical player. Don't you want all your time? And you go, oh, no, I never skip breakfast. <laughs> and I thought that was wonderful. Here we have our classical musician who's saying, nah, I'm getting my breakfast in. Then I'm going <laughs> to... But I also think one of the things that I keep talking about is the time that time you were on the QE2 and the head of the entertainment at the time mm. was saying... What is it with you pianists? You always want to practice all the time. I mean, we were driving him insane because he thought, you know, most musicians came on and, and had their crews and sort of played a little bit and warmed up and went and did something and didn't really care about it. And all of a sudden, there, there was yourself and Steve Ross and myself and just chasing one another and sort of, my time finished now, your time. And, and also, we had great fun about it. That's too. I mean... Isn't that special to be yeah. able to, to spend time together? I think people don't realize how inspiring it is to be with other musicians as you're saying i found that very inspiring to have the conversation to have that community because we don't because usually because we're all traveling so much when do you ever meet pianists i mean if if, uh, you know unless they come to your city and you happen to have a free night but even still you know if you came and played in dublin i'd probably sit in the audience but i i wouldn't have the temerity to go and introduce myself (laughs) and feel that you'd want to get to know me and i think this is one of the things that we've lost in the fact that we do so much air travel. Because, of course, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, all the musicians traveled by boat from Mm -hmm. Europe to uh, the United States. And, of course, they would get to know one another on the boats. And that's how many, many friendships happened. And I think that's... We have to thank the QE2 for our friendship. Exactly. More boat trips. More More ship trips, trips, we should say, I guess. Those big ships. Yes, next time it should be warmer, though. (laughs) We should plan the Caribbean, I think. Exactly. Or the Caribbean-Israel area. Exactly.
my version of Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest, classical pianist John O'Connor, discussed the improvisational aspect of early classical music. When Mozart wrote his piano concertos, um, unless he was writing them for a student, he never bothered writing the cadenzas because he would improvise them himself. Mm. And it depended on his mood, how long they'd be and how virtuoso they'd be. Also, Beethoven was very famous for his improvisations. And in fact, there's one piece, an odd piece called uh, A Fantasy, Opus 77, which they say is the only extant example of a, a type of uh, improvisation that Beethoven used to do. And all of these composers at the time, they, they played their own compositions and they improvised. And at parties, people would throw out a, a theme and they would actually develop it. You know, and so this is, this is an extraordinary thing. Organists nowadays still, um, classical organists, they, they are taught improvisation and are taught to develop improvisational techniques and that sort of thing. But it's disappeared from classical music. And I now, think why organists and not pianists? I suppose because they expect, you know, they have to fill in while they, 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 in churches while the priests <laughs> or, the, or the, the bishops or something <laughs> trip up or forget about communion. I don't know what. That sort of thing. And uh, so they have to sort of vamp till ready. <laughs> but of course, in classical music. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, there's a lot of good jazz that came out of churches. So see, yeah. here's another thing, well, another that, similarity. I, I think that, you know, I mean, if somebody said to me, would you just sit down and improvise? I'm Okay, I'm far too old and decrepit to start now. But I mean, I, I, I think I would just for fun. But I need to be sort of, you know, I, I wouldn't want anybody else to hear it. But I, I might have fun doing it myself. Well, on the next cruise ship and you You'll see this, you're going to no, you're going to see this blonde out in the audience say, stretch out, stretch <laughs> out, <laughs> improvise, yeah, improvise. I wish, I, mean, I wish people did. I mean, and people, people did. Or I wish people still did. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it's like these people have these concepts about you can't teach this and you mustn't. You know, I mean, we've discovered recently that, that uh, I think Ireland is the only country in Western Europe that doesn't have a degree in jazz performance now, mm. which we're trying desperately to bring in. And so that people would would be allowed to develop their, uh, their knowledge of all the other great jazz musicians and at the same time, you know, develop their improvisational skills. Mm-hmm. And when you get a lot of jazz musicians, I mean, the first time, it's my sons who sort of went crazy about jazz when I played some of it for it, and they've gone into it much more than I have. Um, but one of my sons, uh, Hugh, the, the film actor, you met him, um, he... Uh, he suddenly said, Brad Maldow's coming. And uh, he was coming to Trinity College in Dublin, so um, he dragged me along. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I mean, it was just amazing.
Brad Meldow on Elegy for William Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I asked my guest, classical pianist John O'Connor, about his favorite Irish jazz musicians. There are quite a few around. I mean, there's a wonderful... I suppose the king of Irish jazz musicians is the guitarist Louis Stewart. And uh, who has been playing now for quite a long time, and um, I mean, he's I think about, around about the same age, maybe a little older than me, but he is one of the great jazz guitarists I think of all time, and certainly we're tremendously proud of him.
and there are also some younger uh, jazz musicians coming up. Ronan Guilfoyle is doing a lot for jazz um, teaching and development in Ireland, and there's a, a flute player called Brian Dunning who's absolutely wonderful as well. Uh, it, it's developing, and uh, it's still possible to go in and sit down in the evening into a pub, and there'll be a, just a group of players just jamming away and having a wonderful time in the same way that you in a, you go to a, into a different pub and they're doing traditional music and I think that's great which is wonderful yeah. and all these things feeding each other it's yeah. fabulous absolutely Another person I have to mention, I was just down recently playing at the Kennedy Center um, uh, and I took a day off and I tried when I go to Washington DC, I tried to do a different museum every time I went down there and I went to the Museum of American History because I'm fascinated, particularly this period and you know I admire it tremendously. But um, they had a special thing on Ella Fitzgerald. And oh. just to hear her, uh, you know, improvising all of this boo 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 what do you call it? Um, scat singing. Scat, scat singing. I mean, it's just amazing. She was there with Oscar Peterson and then she was there with mm. Duke Ellington. It was just incredible to see this on stage and, and uh, improvising just like that on television. Uh, I think that's great. I mean, that's the sort of thing that gives you a tremendous thrill. I almost had you know, had to drag myself away no. because I had to go and have my sleep before I performed. <laughs> but I really would quite happily have sat down and, and stayed watching for two or three hours. Well, all the people that you've mentioned are all people that the passion really comes through with their playing, which is how I feel about your playing. And I think that's the thing that connects it, whether it's classical music, jazz, or the people that really play from the heart. Well, I think that's the most important thing. I mean, I think, uh, let's put it this way, you and I, I think if we were talking about any musician, whether they be pop, classical, jazz, whatever, um, we would cotton on immediately, whether in fact they're serious, whether this comes straight from them, or whether it's something superimposed that they think will, the audience will like. Yes. You can't do something, you can't please an audience. You have to actually play from the heart, whatever mm. music you play. And you, because people, people will pick up immediately if you're being artificial. Absolutely. Will you inspire me, John O'Connor? I, you inspire me, Judy Carmichael. Thank you. This has been great. My pleasure. Great fun. Thank you. You've been listening to classical pianist John O'Connor. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. 
The production engineers for today's show are Curtis Heidolf and Carl Fontenot. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats, and other stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashamon sax and Chris Florian guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our webmaster, Megan Lewis, and program advisor, Jamie Roach. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel in Sag Harbor, New York. Learn more at theamericanhotel.com.